0: Welcome to this episode of SDI Encounters, a podcast from SDI, the home of spiritual companionship. I'm Anne Lancaster. Learn more about us and our work on our website, sdicompanions.org. In this week's episode, we hear from our new contemplatives. The New Contemplatives initiative is a container of vocational support and development opportunities for emerging spiritual companions in their first half of life. New Contemplatives enrich the SDI community with new forms and paradigms of spiritual care, bringing their voices to the center of the organization and to the broader field of spiritual companionship. Together, we work to weave a web of intergenerational wisdom and practice and to seek answers to, What is spiritual companionship for our times? This session was recorded during our Renaissance 2021 conference from April of this year and features the voices of our program leader Lizzie Salsik and her group of new contemplatives, Ufra Mir, Sunyata Kopriva, Nathan Betger, Mason Chan, and Sarah Zaltash. This is part one of a two-part series. Please tune in again next week for the second half of their presentation.
1: we are weaving our lives we are weaving our hearts and our minds we are weaving the bright and dark threads of our journeys through we are weaving our lives we of light, we are weaving a basket to hold all that's true. We are weaving our lives, we are weaving. Hearts and our minds, we are weaving the bright and dark threads of our journeys through. We are weaving our lives, we are weaving a blanket of light. We are weaving a basket to hold all that's true. We are weaving our lives. We are weaving our hearts and our minds. We are weaving the bright and dark threads of our journeys through. We are weaving our lives. We are weaving a blanket of light. We are weaving a basket to hold. All that's true, all that's true, all that's true.
2: And with deep breaths, we give thanks to this weaving. We give thanks to the weaver for the weaving of this day, for the weaving of this time and space to be together in this, w- in this way and for the weaving of our lives. We give great thanks to the bright and well ancestors of all of us who are gathered, those whose lives brought forth our life, we say thank you and we ask for your support and your wisdom to be present with us today in this conversation. Mm. To the First Nations peoples, to the indigenous ones of the places where we each are, we give our great respect to you and we ask that this conversation and our lives be in honor of your memory and in support of your descendants to the more than human world that holds us even here and now we say thank you even on this computer even in this zoom room you are present you are holding our life you are holding our experiences We say thank you and we ask you to continue to show us what it means to be a part of this web of life. To all that seeks to support myself and these new contemplatives and this SDI and to all of you who are here, we say thank you, we say welcome, we say be with us so that this conversation may be for good so that this conversation may be a holy offering we ask that this time and space serve the reign of justice of liberation of wholeness and of beauty thank you thank you thank you amen and so it is Thank you all for gathering. It's such an interesting thing to be doing these big gatherings, these exciting things in Zoom and on this format. And here I am getting an opportunity to experience it from a different angle than just the tech support angle that I've been taking on a lot of these sessions. I wanna uh, introduce myself um, before we introduce the new contemplatives and orient um, everyone to our session today. So welcome again, and thank you for being here with us, uh, despite the 1000 other places that you could be. My name is Lizzie Salsik, and I am speaking to you today from St. Louis, Missouri, near the confluence of the Mississippi, Missouri and Illinois rivers. On the ancestral land of the Osage, the Kickapoo and the many, many other Mississippian peoples of this region. I and the place I am greet you and the place you are. One of my passions and purposes in this life is priestessing emergent spiritual communities through ritual and organizational leadership. In this vein, I have the immense pleasure and privilege of being the convener of SDI's New Contemplatives Initiative and as such, your host for today's session. The New Contemplatives Initiative is one of the ways that SDI serves the rising generation of spiritual companions and leaders. Part scholarship program, part community, part vocational support. The New Contemplatives Initiative seeks to uplift the voices of spiritual companions in their first half of life emerging companions who walk with individuals and communities in innovative and transformative ways. This year we have five amazing and brilliant New Contemplatives and I am so honored to share them with you today. Soon I will turn it over to them, but first I wanna orient you to this program just a little more. In a moment we will be listening to and participating with the New Contemplatives in a conversation centering the critical spiritual issues and invitations of our times and how we be with those as spiritual companions. The panel discussion will be sprinkled with short embodied practices so that we can all practice staying rooted in the body and attuned to the wisdom of the heart, especially as we listen to the big challenging questions. My desire for this time is that we all listen intently to these questions, to these new contemplative voices and to our own deepest experience in a way that truly moves something in us and in the wider community. For to truly listen is to be changed. So without further ado, I invite my new contemplative friends to come in and introduce yourselves. Sunyata, would you start us off? I'd be pleased to.
3: Thank you, Lizzie, and welcome everyone. It's so nice to get to share this time and space with you. Um, I'm Sunyata Kopriva. I'm an integrative trauma psychotherapist. I provide culturally congruent or culturally relevant trauma care to people around the globe. I am a student of Jetson Khandro Rinpoche within the Mindrolling Monastery of the enigma lineage of Tibetan Buddhism. I'm also a yoga teacher, and within this last year, year and a half, a student of shamanic practices.
4: My name is Mason Chan, and I um, am a, a racial justice activist, compassion activist, sacred activist, um, a children's novelist under my English name, Crystal Chan. Um, and in the pandemic, I have been launched into um, giving retreats and being a spiritual director actually um i now give a lot of virtual self-care retreats um i held numerous self-care retreats throughout the uh roller coaster of these times uh including election night and um the night before election night and you know inauguration night you know so really like tying it to political events as well um uh and do i i also uh I'm exploring a lot of different types of embodied meditations that Spirit uh, likes to give me as well as spoken word projects. So a lot of different creative uh, spiritual work.
5: Good to be with you all. I was wondering if my dog Wendell uh, would join in. Apparently he did. Um, uh, Yes, so I'm a full-time hospital chaplain and spiritual director uh my wife Kat, is a yoga teacher we have two boys brendan and owen uh my oldest son brendan has duchenne muscular dystrophy uh which is a terminal neuromuscular disease um which breaks down his muscles um slowly over time uh my work and and all the things i'll be sharing today have been significantly affected by my work in the hospital with grief and also just um, fathering uh, a son with a disability. So I'll get to talk about that some more. It's good to be with you.
6: My name is Sarah, um, or beloved Sarah Zoltash. I'm a British Iranian spiritual practitioner and astrologer and artist, performance artist, really. I cut my teeth in holding spirit on the stages of festivals and various direct actions and yeah, like any anywhere where they put a stage, I got on it and called some spirit down. I like to sing to God in public. And I think that that's really, um, as far as I've gotten um, and still here I am. Um, I'll leave it there and pass it back to Lizzie. Thank you.
2: Thank you all. We're gonna bring one more voice up um, into our mix who is our fifth new contemplative. Um, who is not able to be with us because of time zone. So here you get to meet a little bit of Ufra. and And as I play this, just really holding Ufra is such a is such a um, essential part of our circle. and um, we're so glad to to have her um, with us in spirit today and that we can share this through tech, amazing technology, um, her with us anyway.
7: Hello, everyone. I'm so glad I can connect with you through this video. Apologies that I could not attend this session because of the time difference. I'm Ufra. I'm a peace psychologist and I work at the intersection of science of psychology and peace building. I've been working in Kashmir. That's where I'm from, uh, other parts of India, South Asia and the US in the past decade. And uh, for me, using spiritual psychology art mental health is some of the foundation work of what i do and helping people heal in their own ways taking charge of their own narratives um, responding to things instead of reacting to things Uh, i see peace as a process not as a product and in that imagination creativity self-expression self-transformation and spirituality is the core foundation of what can help us today and for the times to come.
2: As I listen to you all share even just pieces of yourself I'm reminded of the miracle that it is to be um, in community with you all in this way. So we're gonna begin in some conversation <laughs> and I uh, I chuckle at the at the magnitude with which we dive into all of this or the magnitude that we choose to dive into. Um, so I want to I want to just, yeah, I, I'm feeling that with me. Um, we're in such critical in such a critical moment in our collective evolution right now. And we've lived through such an incredibly intense year that has shed light on so much systematic dysfunction, as well as collective possibility. From your perspective, what is a critical spiritual issue and invitation of our times? Mason, I wonder if you would begin us off.
4: From where I stand. So I was, I was born Catholic. My dad is a uh, Buddhist and a convert to Catholicism. Uh, my mother's Polish uh, Roman Catholic and I grew up Catholic uh, with a bit of Buddhism thrown in. Um, left Catholicism and Christianity in my 20s um, and I'm staunchly spiritual but not religious um, at this point point. Um, and and um, really, coming to reclaim my roots, my Catholic Christian roots, uh, in a way um, that is liberating and decolonized. And I'll share a little bit about that. I will be leading a prayers, uh, a little embodied prayer at the very end, where I will be decolonizing the Lord. So, if you want that, stick around. Um, but that's also part of what I, right? That's part of what I am impassioned about is is finding new ways to claim myself given that history, that little bit, uh, one of the things, and again, like having, I'm also mixed race, uh, and I oftentimes find myself straddling multiple worlds. Um, And one of them is the institutional world and the very uninstitutional world of religion. Um, And uh, from where I see it, I I am in contact with a lot of people who have uh, left religion, institutionalized religion of all, all kinds of sorts. Um, and I also have a spiritual director who's like a Catholic Jesuit priest. So again, like straddling multiple worlds. I find that integration, and I'm speaking, you know, knowing know your audience, right? Um, coming from mostly like uh, institutionally religious folks, the, the biggest question I think for this audience would be the questions of integration and accessibility. So integration, by integration, I mean that all y'alls have like thousands of years of mystical tradition and experience. You have amazing heroes and lineages of how to interpret what is uh, a healthy spiritual experience, what is not a healthy spiritual experience, um, how to manage ego, um, how to manage power in um, holy ways um, and in ways that uh, evoke life. Um, for a lot of people who have left uh, institutional religion, um, there is such a deep craving for mystical experience, uh, for direct impactful, mystical experience. Um, There's so much hunger and so much a type of starvation. Um, And and so they're they're going out for it. We are going out for it, right? Um, And there is a passion that is almost unrivaled within institutions. Um, So for instance, um, I'm gonna give three small examples. Uh, to illustrate this, um, I have a friend of mine who I found in my neighborhood who's uh, who's become a COVID uh, walker with me. Uh, she's a black woman and she uh, does a lot of like tarot card readings and uh, different types of um, uh, embodied work as well. And she was hired uh, uh, to be a part of, for this mystic hotline. You know, so like, kind of like dial a mystic. Uh, She uh, was hired to be a mystic for this mystic hotline via text. So it's all text-based. It's, you don't call a mystic anymore. You text them, right? And she was um, part of this this job orientation because this is now a job, she's being hired to do this. And I asked her what that was like, the orientation. And she's like, well, there were 70 of us in Zoom on an orientation. I'm like, there's 70, like, psychics, texting psychics? And she's like, yes, there are 70 of us. So again, there's this huge world out there outside of the walls, right? Um, Another example of, okay, so that that sets the stage a little bit. Um, There's also such a lack of wisdom because they are out there in this big wide ocean Uh, and don't necessarily have the skill set to be out in a big, wide ocean. And this is where I also see kind of like a necessary meeting place between institutionalized religion and those who have left. Um, So, for instance, I uh, participated uh, soon after the pandemic, I saw this like trauma and spirituality, trauma healing and Spirituality healing from an indigenous perspective led by two mixed race leaders. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm totally over this. Um, it, in my opinion, was really spiritually dangerous. Uh, they, uh, there was about 40 of us. Um, it was a, an eight week course. Uh, it cost three hundred dollars and it was all probably people under 40 maybe 50. Um, so like a commitment, you know, you're, you're committing to the time you're committing to the money too. Um, uh, especially for youth. Right. And everyone was showing up and, uh, the leaders, um, were basically of the philosophy that any, any spiritual experience is a good one. And so we need to self-induce our spiritual experiences. And so there were constant, like times throughout every class, um, that, There was a time for people to induce themselves over Zoom in their own places, induce their own trance. Okay. And there was no discernment about what these trance states were. There was no discernment about um, what they were experiencing. Um, There was, it was just any trance is a good trance, any spiritual experience is a good experience. And so, therefore, we're just going to have them. Right. In one of these times, there was a, a, a woman, a black woman, uh, and this was also very racially integrated. I'm gonna get, that, I'm gonna get into that a little bit more. So it was, it was a very heavily, it was young and it was racially diverse. Um, I would say it was maybe about 60 to 65% people of color, POC, right? Um, and a lot of them were queer trans queer and or trans or gay lesbian. Okay, so there's a lot of different types of diversity in the group. And at one point, um, yeah, after this, one of these like trans experiences, um, one black woman raised her hand and she asked the leader who again was uh, a mixed race leader, you know, she's like, well, in this trans experience where we were like encountering death and having a conversation with death, she's like, I, I saw this, this, I don't know if it was good or not, but I saw this black hole of like nothingness coming right at me and I wasn't sure what to do and it was sucking me in and uh, I wasn't uh, I was kind of scared Uh, it didn't really seem like I should go in that black hole. And so I didn't, but uh, I wasn't sure what I should have done what should I have done. And we were all waiting and the group leader said and, and I kind of repeat his intensity he's like you should go in the black hole. That's great. That's the sign that you are advanced. You are advanced, fantastic. Next time this happens, go into the black hole, get sucked in. This means you have taken it to the next level. You have to go into the nothingness. And I was sitting there just horrified. I was absolutely horrified, Um, especially getting into terms of like, also like we're telling like people of color also telling other people of color to disregard feelings of unsafety <laughs> um and the fact that he brought in uh the leader brought in the fact that now she is advanced so now you have ego-driven decisions okay so that's one example of just like where and how people are not being like we need your wisdom
2: thank you we're so grateful for your passion.
6: Yeah, it's always so nourishing of my own motivations to hear my sharing these experiences that they have had. And um, there's like, I guess like a general There's like a more general thing that I encounter being in Europe. I live in Berlin at the moment and previously have been living in the southwest of England and in London, which is just and also have lived in the USA, in Turtle Island and several other countries. The thing that I I think really gets to me is um, in terms of issues within spirituality itself, within the kind of cultures, is the pervasiveness of capital and the fact that people are having to pay money at the point of access. That seems so completely wrong to me. I believe that people offering spiritual service must be supported. And I believe that, um, the people who are in need of those services absolutely should not be having to pay on their way into the temple. It just, it couldn't, it just couldn't be so obviously and naturally wrong to me. Um, and. So a lot of the work that I do around creating new forms of ministry for young people that feel relevant is about embedding anti-capitalism into that, because that's another thing that I feel is like a kind of more general thing of like, how do we lead one another when we feel like the training pathways of the old traditions are somewhat bankrupt? But I know that that's not not the same for all of us because for example Shanyata has found a tradition that they feel comfortable in so i don't want to say that there is no way that you can find your way into a pathway um, but for me especially in europe um there there just are not enough spaces for a generation of spiritual leaders to be able to really fulfill their vocations i call it the lost generation you know
2: thank you so much beloved sarah
0: Join SDI for an eight-night, nine-day transformational journey to one of the most mystical places in the world, Iona, Scotland. Ritual, community worship, poetry, body prayer, meditation, journaling, music, and movement will be our tools to deeply listen to the voice of the great mystery. Led by retreat leader and Iona native, Reverend Simon DeVoyle, we will walk the landscape of Iona together as pilgrims, wandering to special places on the island to embrace the wilderness and to pray with nature. Learn more at sdicompanions.org.
3: I'm humbled by being able to be together with Nissan and beloved Sarah and Nathan and I want I wanna take this opportunity to just drop in and go down, we're gonna go down. So if you're moving around, just take a moment to still yourself and in whatever way is appropriate and comfortable for you. Begin to connect with the sacred side of life within your body, within your breath. You may notice your mind starting to still. And if it's still racing, maybe you just notice your feet staying still. But touch in with something around you, in you, of you, that is still. I'll offer these short prayers from my tradition. Namo. In the 10 directions of the three times, Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, I and all beings, limitless as space, from now until the attainment of enlightenment, constantly take refuge with devotion of body, speech, and mind. Ho, from now until samsara is empty, I'll master the activities of the victorious ones. I will generate the sacred enlightened mind, which establishes all limitless beings in the ground of nirvana. From this groundedness, from this stillness, I ask you to contemplate, what are you afraid of? Where does fear present itself in your life? What are you most afraid to lose? What are you afraid will die now or in the future? What pain are you afraid to handle? Afraid to realize? What reality that's presenting itself be a political, social, environmental, emotional, psychological? elicits or activates fear within you? What if it is gone? Do you feel like you will just crumble, you will collapse, you will not exist anymore? Imagine the fear that those that are on islands and shores with rising sea levels are feeling right now, wondering about the future of their children and their loved ones. Imagine the fear of the man in prison that wants a vaccine and he doesn't want COVID. Imagine the fear of the ant that is just trying to find its way home before it gets fumigated. Lean into this pounding body, this pounding reality of fear that is ever-present. What does it feel like? What is it telling you? What What is it inviting you to know more about? How is it teaching you? What does it do to your breath? What does it do to your mind? What does it do to your body? What does it do to your sense of connection to all living beings, seen and unseen? The Dalai Lama says that there's two types of fear. There's afflictive fear and there's wise fear. Afflictive fear is otherwise known as the alarm system going off in our bodies, the trauma trauma system, fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. Fear stops us. Maybe it keeps you from the deeper knowing of who you really are and what other people really are other beings really are. But it can also guide you. It tells you of your limits, it tells you of your lackings, it tells you of your growth edges. And so how can you befriend fear a little bit more? How can you soften just a little bit more? When you start to ask questions of fear? as life offers you fear lessons. I'd like to offer this quote by Pema Chodron, Tibetan nun, Tibetan Buddhist nun. Fear is a natural reaction of moving closer to the truth. If we cannot commit ourselves to staying right where we are. We will feel fear. When we feel fear our experience becomes very vivid. Things become very clear when there is nowhere to escape. And then transition out of your stillness, out of these questions, taking a breath, making any movements to ground yourself back into your shared experience.
1: Thank
2: you so much, Sunyata. Before we move all the way into another inquiry or a a following inquiry, I want to see if Nathan wants to speak at all to um, that first question that I posed. And I bet Kat's still looking for where Nathan is here.
5: I would love to. Um, So before I dive in, I have to honor that most of the, uh, you know, most of what I am talking about, I'm so used to being in conversation about and having time for observation and, and reflection. So it feels a little bit like opening up a big can of worms with not enough time. Um, But I think that's okay, because it is what it is. Uh, So for me, there's two significant issues connected to, um, as I see them, a Western culture of capitalism and individualism. Uh, I can only speak to Western culture as it's, you know, my home turf. Um, uh, I imagine wherever it shows up, it's an issue. but I offer these as one who tries day after day after day to pay attention and to pay attention well and speak honestly to what I see. So for me, first, uh, one of the main significant issues of our time is, uh, the almost across the boards, aversion to discomfort, pain, the unknown and grief fueled by an obsession with comfort, ease, solutions, answers, and making things better. Secondly, I see a total denial of limits and anything that reminds us of limits like aging, frailty, dying, contentment, staying still or being ordinary. This denial of limits as I see it is fueled by an obsession with success, progress, improvement, expansion, youthfulness and action. Our Western culture is obsessed with the future which technically is not a reality and has extreme short-term memory when it comes to learning from the past. I don't see these things as getting any better or slowing down as there's only one direction that these perspectives can go. Progress only moves to more progress. Expansion only moves to more expansion. These issues have poisoned our views of all life stages, especially adolescents and the elderly leaving an almost non-existent place for elders in our culture. Our earth, our mother, has been decimated as a result. These cultural illusions have affected our religious beliefs, our views on gender, sexuality, economy, education, race, and leadership. So when cultural values affect us on such a personal local level, often the only thing that makes Such a significant difference for cultural transformation is to counter these things in simple, but profound ways on the personal relational level. And so I'll speak to that later. But those are the two things that I see.
2: Thank you, Nathan. I'm hearing so many strands already. um, And what you all have shared, what's coming to me um, in big ways are eldership and container for, for um, spiritual movement and, and formation and pathway, as well as, um, as fear and discomfort and the connections between the practice that Sunyata guided us in and the, what Nathan spoke to uh, as this fundamental fear of loss and death and discomfort and so those are really reverberating inside of me. And I'm um, just breathing with that. Thank you all. So in light of these issues, problems, you might call them, that we're all grappling with, as well as um, the invitations therein, I want to know what practices, and I'd love for all of us to be able to hear from you, what practices best uh, support you in holding or responding to these challenges or these invitations? What practices in your life help you be with this? And I wanna show a video from Ufra again first um, to bring in her voice um, and the way
7: that she responds to, to this. Some of the things that help me or the practices um, that help me kind of deal with these things are firstly uh, having time to reflect um, on a daily basis and uh, reflection doesn't mean obviously sitting with um, ourselves and just staring at the blank walls. Uh, It is becoming comfortable with being, um, letting emotions be our guests and all sorts of emotions, not just joy and happiness, also despair, hopelessness. I think we also as human beings need to be okay with the letter hearts be broken and you know, feeling shattered from time to time. I think that is what makes us human. Um, and again, empathy is so important, um, especially right now and for the times to come. I think it will become even more important for us to focus on self-empathy, which is not being selfish. I think it is really important to create spaces on a daily basis for our self-care, self-empathy. We really cannot uh, function or work out of an empty jug. We have to create uh, spaces for our well-being and self-care on a daily basis because... um, it is important for ourselves to be well that is when we can be most useful and helpful for others as a community and species and build more meaningful connections with ourselves and others whether that is through listening i think we still do not listen enough and uh, most of us listen to advice listening to understand is i think one of the most beautiful things I've seen happening. It is something that makes you feel moved and feel still at the same time. Um, And especially in these times, I think building that connection with ourselves um, and others in whatever ways we can meaningfully is so, so, so important. And looking at things from a more spiritual, philosophical angle, Realizing that we are first spiritual beings with human experience, not the other way around. And in that, letting imagination and creativity be our guiding tools.
2: I'm grateful for her invitations there. What else, what are other practices that help you be in all of this?
6: We, um, when we were talking about this session and what we all might say, we were all like, what Lizzie? you want us to talk about ways to heal the world? I don't know if we have, do we, if we had them, surely we would just be doing them right. And then we all kind of went away and yeah, we could be like, yeah, no, there are something, there must be something I do to help. And I want to just say a little bit about mine, but I'm going to be sharing a practical piece about, that actually does do this. Um, But just for me, the thing that does not in any way meet the fullness of the trouble and yet still manages to be with it is song. There's nothing more precious and healing, remedial and devastating to me than song. And partly because I have um, epilepsy and and ADHD and various other kind of like special letters for um, what is a funny old brain. And singing is something that I have um, used to soothe myself since, for as long as I can remember. And so that soothing that I found for myself is the soothing that I now share with others. But also I've seen how song can do the work that no type of conversation can. I've heard of songs that have released 160 climate activists from a makeshift prison in a warehouse in Denmark after a climate action. And they sang so loudly that the guards couldn't bear it and put them on coaches and set them free. You know, only song can do that. I myself traveled around the world for a few years and May again, travel again, um, offering an adaptation of the Islamic call to prayer, something that um, women very, very rarely do and certainly not in the places and in the ways that I did doing the work of starting to kind of lever out um patriarchy from its very firmly stuck in place in islam just with song ju- just with that no no exegesis no um, scriptural arguments nothing just just with this one prayer um and so and this kind of unifying aspect of song and yet also it, how it's absolutely impossible to erase the uniqueness of a single song voice. I think, so for me, I just come back to that tool all the time.
2: Beautiful, Sarah. I look forward to perhaps hearing some more of your voice um, in our practice time today. Is there more?
3: As a trauma therapist, when I am working, initiating people into fear into terror, into their trauma, right? Fear is a spectrum. Um, It's done so with the framework that exposure is necessary. Practice is necessary. It's not a one-time lean into fear or one-time recognition of the terror, that there are so many layers of fear And so repetition, 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 and leaning in further and further and further until there's really a collapse of the hope and the fear. That fear stops being this thing that needs to be feared itself. That fear can become something that is honored, something that is part of the post-traumatic growth. So we're not talking about just the big moments of fear in our lives or just the big moments of fear in in all beings lives but recognizing moment to moment to moment to moment is your fear response being activated. What is your nervous system doing. What is your heart doing. And the polyvagal theory of of trauma is very, very helpful to see not only how does the body and the mind respond to fear, but what is the antidote to shutting down? What's the antidote to fighting it off? And guess what? It's connection. It's relationships. It's attachment. It's being present so keenly in the moment that you don't miss anything. And there becomes this collapse between self and other. Father, Father Rohr talked today in his, in his talk about non-duality. In Buddhism, we talk about the eight dharmas. These are recognitions of where duality show up in life. And it's a sign of you're caught in some sort of cyclic existence, you're caught in samsara. And at the root is hope and fear. Everything else stems out of hope and fear. And so when you start to collapse those, there's actually no difference. And we need both of them in a dualistic way, but they're not a problem. If we make fear a problem, moment to moment to moment, the big fears are gonna take over. And so the practices, whatever practice culturally works for you to lean in, to stay with it, to stay with the breath, stay with the nervous system, stay with your companions, stay with the starlight. You're training your nervous system, you're training your mind that your courage, your confidence, your sacredness is bigger than the small fear that's coming up in that moment.
2: Thank you so much, Sanyana, building. Connection as the antidote to collapsing into fear or to being overcome by fear.
5: So good, I could probably jump in, um, mainly because of the um, alignment uh, in what I wanted to share uh, with uh, Shunyata and and what she's speaking to, what they're speaking to. Um, so, one of the One of the things, one of the only things I would say that I'm religious about is that I really do believe that meditation or some contemplative practice would be beneficial for everyone. Of course, it changes based on the person and their temperament, uh, their personality, but I think it's something that we can help others discover as spiritual companions. Meditation gives us a chance to sit with ourselves and pay attention, not trying to change, but wondering, discovering, holding loosely and welcoming. It's not always comfortable being with ourselves. And so, as a counter to this culture of aversion to discomfort uh, and aversion to limits, uh, sitting in meditation or some other contemplative practice allows us to get close to that. Uh, We engage, uh, you know, we engage in this practice regularly. And I think that as we do that, as we come back to our breath, as we sit with these aspects in ourself and just allow them and welcome them and un- try and understand them, uh, it's able to expand outward. Uh, it's kind of like the idea of leaning into little deaths to prepare us for the big death or deaths. So that being said, there's another practice that I would speak to that really comes out of my own life, Uh And that is being in conversation about or even being close to death as incredibly necessary um, for for our growth and deepening. I had a teacher on grief and dying who told a story of someone in their 50s who came to him and said that they'd never experienced someone dying. His response was that if you're in your 50s and never had anyone die, you're either not around or you're simply not awake. Granted, not everyone's a chaplain. Uh, and being around this on a daily basis, and nor should they be. But I can guarantee you that every single person dies, and every single person faces this one common ending with no certainty about what will happen next. Once human beings face mystery, we draw from our lives the experiences we have had to make meaning of this time. So almost every single person I've ever met who is dying or coming near the end of their life thinks of those who have come before them. And this helps them have peace or it adds to their fear. And it's almost, studies show that almost everybody even has people who have come before them actually come to them in their dying process, which I think is incredibly profound. Um, But uh, it brings them peace or it brings them fear based on what they've experienced. So starting these conversations about endings about dying and what it's like literally changes the scene for generations to come. We have a lifetime to prepare for our death. This I can guarantee, but we don't know how long that lifetime's gonna be. It could be, you know, into your 90s, or it could be like my son and possibly into your 20s. We just don't know. And so it's never too early to begin learning about limits and welcoming the unknown into our conversations. I know we have people here of all ages. Each of us needs to be engaging in conversations with other generations about this experience of aging, of limits, of how much is enough. Young people can be asking older ones what their experience is like, and olders can be sharing with youngers what it means to age, to break down, to have limits, particularly when death is close at hand. I would be willing to say, to go out on a limb and say that if someone is younger and not inquiring of olders, or if someone is older and not sharing with younger ones, they are essentially doing a disservice to their community and to their world. And I don't say this to shame or to scold, but not having these conversations intergenerationally is a withholding of one's unique self and also common experience, which is a withholding of an essential need for sustainable communities. I'm talking about living into the role of eldering, something that I think is less and less common, something that only happens in the relationship and in the communication, in the function, not in claiming ourselves as elders. The tragedy of our time is not that young people don't have elders to go to much more. So it's that young people don't even see the need for elders in their lives. I can tell you this is getting more and more of a reality for younger generations. So we have to initiate the conversations, learn from each other intergenerationally and not with the attitude of helping, making things better or teaching, but with an attitude of learning about what it means to be human, which means having limits and leaning into the unknown. Conversations like these literally are spiritual practice in our time.
4: And I would say for uh, spiritual practices, I'm just gonna speak in, in broad generalities for myself and um, my circles, as well as what I see, um, things that are embodied. Uh, and it's very interesting that uh, I think all of us are either practicing or have connections to someone who does practice yoga, something embodied. uh, Something embodied, uh, something that draws upon the mystical and something greater than oneself. Uh, And I cannot overemphasize the impact of justice, social justice, uh, racial justice, gender justice, disability justice. Um, It was, um, I think we would be wise. One invitation, as Glizzy had had brought up, an invitation to especially spiritual practitioners is to be very deeply listening, use that skill of deep listening to the uh, protests on the streets, the George Floyd protests um that's where the youth are uh that's that's how they are practicing their spirituality uh it's the transcendence socially like like a social transcendence um and then coming back in for like self-care you know intending and meditation in like inner transcendence and then but it's not to stay inner it's to go back out into the world to keep working on that social transcendence of social justice And that i have found that if i do not speak in the language of social justice and spiritual i'm not speaking their language you know and if somebody speaks to me only in terms of spirituality and not in the broader justice like there will be no communication like it will be an inaccessible conversation in an inaccessible language if it does not include the realm of justice. Um, And there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of different ways, you know, you can take it, you know, a lot of different ways to break that down justice wise. But um, I find that those three qualities, the embodiment, the access to the mystical, and then justice oriented. And And not to have justice like quarantined in its own little part, but infused throughout everything, infuse justice embodiment, infuse justice mysticism, infuse, you know, like that kind of a thing. The more systemic that the justice can be, the more uh, people are on board.
2: Mm. Thank you so much, Maison.
8: If you're enjoying this podcast and you wanna help us share and spread the word, about the life-giving practice of spiritual companionship, you can help us out by subscribing to this podcast through your favorite app. You could give us a like or even write us a review. Thank you for listening. This is Matt Whitney with Spiritual Directors International. Thanks again for listening. Your time and your presence here are deeply appreciated. If you liked this show and would like us to continue making them, please do subscribe now while it's fresh on your mind. Also, we would love to hear from you, so please feel free to send in your comments and suggestions to the email address podcast at sdiworld.org. SDI is the home of spiritual companionship. Learn more about us and our work on our website, sdicompanions.org.